I had one recently and I kind of forgot what the details were, but I liked it. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to go check out the deed. Of course, it's all written in French because it's a Quebec beer. Hello and welcome to episode four of Hoppy Night in Canada. I'm John calling in from Toronto. And in Vancouver, my name's Dave. How's it going, Dave? It's going well, John. How are you? Not too bad. So we got some suggestions from some listeners based on the last couple of episodes, and we're actually going to flip the script a little bit. We're going to try something a little bit different. So the new format that we're trying out for tonight is starting off the top, we're actually going to try the common beer that we're sharing. From there, we'll get into you know our standard discussion topics and ramblings the way we normally do, a lot of digressions. And then we'll close out the episode with the individual beers that we have from either side of the country. Yeah, and... I mean, having a beer probably isn't going to make the podcast worse. <laughs> that was the original proposal said that, hey, it would be fun uh, to listen to you drinking and getting progressively sillier as the show goes on. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll give that a try. Cool. So this this episode, our beer style is the Bel- is Belgian wit beer or Belgian white, white beer, which is a traditional Belgian... It's essentially the Belgian equivalent of your German Hefeweizen. And and I say, I say Belgian. They're all Belgian-style wit beers. Our And our common beer today is from Unibrew out of Quebec, Blanche de Chambly. Yes. Which I, I, I'm not sure about you, Dave. I mean, I might be a bit biased because I've had this a number of times in the past. But as far as a an example of a Belgian wit beer that is as far as I understand, pretty available across all of Canada. Easy to find and a pretty good example of the style. You can't really beat Blanche de Chambly. No, definitely, definitely. And you know, it's a it's, it's a pretty good beer. Yeah, totally. I have had it a few times and yeah, it's it's fairly readily available. I picked up a bottle. It's a large style, size sort of 700, 750 milliliter wine bottle sized bottle at the BC liquor store, uh, the big one on Canby. I think it's it's more readily available, and this is kind of odd for, I guess, you know, quote-unquote craft beer, but it's more readily available at uh, BC liquor stores than it is at the private, the, the better private stores. Interesting. Yeah, like I know I had looked for Blanche de Chambly previously at Legacy, and, uh, and I hadn't found it. So, but huh. I, I was, I was able to pick it up at the BC liquor store when I happened to be nearby there yesterday and yeah, picked up a bottle. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I can't obviously speak for all of Ontario, but in, uh, in Toronto area LCBOs, uh, you can pretty much find it anywhere at any rate. Uh, you want to give this one a try? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. It's a little, you know, it's a little tartar than I remember. And so the traditional flavors of a Belgian wit are kind of, it's got the light weediness from obviously the wheat malt that's used to brew it. And then the real major flavor is the yeast. It'll have, it's got sort of the clove, coriander, you know, sometimes sometimes like a lemon peel or, or orange peel sort of thing going on. And, and this one's, it's got the, it's got the, the, the spiciness. It's got the, I guess some of the, the, the citrus rind flavor, but it's just a little tartar than I remember it being. Yeah. It's actually when, 
the last couple times I've had it, I've been surprised. I, I wouldn't call it a, a sour taste, but I think you're right. A tartness is a good way of describing that. Yeah, it's not. It's it's definitely not sour, but it's just kind of a little, yeah, a, a refreshing kind of smack of tartness. Yeah, and quite citrusy, as you say. So I did a bit of research because, like so many of these things, I I know what a Belgian wit is and I know what it tastes like, but I don't have any background about it. I don't have any sort of deeper knowledge about what's going on with it. So I did a bit of research so I can give you a handful of random facts about Belgian wits that I found out earlier today. Um, Excellent. So Belgian wit as a style has been around for, it's one of those long-standing traditional styles. It's been around for hundreds of years, but it had a sort of extreme decrease in popularity around the 19th century, I guess. It started to be as German lagers, I guess, started to become really popular outside of Germany. That started to replace a lot of the areas that that traditionally drank Belgian wits started to drink lagers instead. And so the Belgian wit went down in style. And there was actually a window of time in around 1950s, 1960s, where wit beers had actually died out as a style. There was no one making it. In the, oh, I've actually lost the name entirely now. It's basically one person that restarted the style. I'm actually going to check. Pierre Celis, Celis? I'm not sure how to pronounce it, uh, but he's actually single-handedly responsible for restarting the style. Okay, uh, cool. And that was the beer that is now sold as Who Garden. Right on, right It was on. called something different at the time, as far as I can remember from what I was reading earlier. But yeah, that restarted the style in the 1960s. And I mean, at this point, it's kind of back into major popularity, especially as interest in Belgian beers, obviously, you know, the last couple of decades, especially for people who have become craft beer aficionados and then start to get into this sort of return to traditional Belgian styles and things like that. It seems to be, I don't know, I there's a handful of places that I think make year-round Belgian wits in Toronto. So it's certainly not, it's, it's big in popularity as far as I can tell by now. Yeah, it's not, it's definitely not a niche style. And I, w- I was going to mention that Who Garden is, you know, the prime example, I guess, of this type of beer. Yeah. Of the Belgian, of the Belgian wit style. And so that, that kind of makes sense that that is where it restarted, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then in the States, you've got a couple, a couple of examples. I mean, many people may know Blue Moon, which is, it's one of those weird ones that's sort of a shadow, like it pretends to be a craft beer in that there's no Anheuser-Busch branding on it. It may not be Anheuser-Busch, but it's made by a macro brewery in a way and packaged in a way that makes it look like it's a craft beer. I think it's made by Coors. And the reason I think that is because Molson Coors is, like, because Coors owns half of Molson in Canada. Right. And the equivalent of Blue Moon in Canada is Rickards White. Right. Yes, um, that's I and, actually and, completely forgot Rickards White existed. <laughs> and the recipe is the same. Blue Moon is and it really? Rickards White. Yeah. My understanding at least is that Blue Moon and Rickards White are the same beer. They're just one's American, one's Canadian. Huh. And I so had I, no and idea. I'm, so I'm pretty sure that yeah, it's the the Coors essentially it's the Molson version versus the Coors version. Interesting. I know also in the States, one that I've seen a lot, I don't know if I've ever had it, but the last couple of times I was in the States, any beer bar of sufficient size tends to have Allagash White. Allagash is a brewery out of Maine, I believe. Uh, and Allagash White seems to have, uh, they have pretty wide distribution, but Allagash White is another Belgian wit style, and it's pretty widely available in the States as far as I can tell. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't I haven't tried it. I've heard of Allagash as a brewery, but I haven't tried that beer, so cool. Yeah. Um, what else? I got, I think I got like two more. <laughs> so 
traditional tastes that you will see associated with Belgian wits are coriander and orange peel. And in many recipes, coriander and orange peel are actually used alongside other spices. And sometimes that's what makes a recipe for a Belgian wit unique is that there's some spice combination that's introduced during the brewing process. And they keep that a secret, becomes their own secret recipe for what makes their beer unique. Cool. The only other thing that I found interesting was, so like you said, it's counterpart, a Belgian wit's counterpart on the German side is a German wheat beer. And the primary difference in the brewing styles is German wheat beers use malted wheat and Belgian wheat beers use unmalted or raw wheat. Oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. So this is apparently, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know enough uh, to tell you exactly what that does to the beer. I know that raw wheat or wheat flakes from a homebrew perspective will help with things like head retention on the beer. Yeah. I don't know what it does when it's introduced in a large scale. I think it's normally kind of a quarter to a half of the grains used are wheat in a yep. in a wit beer. And then, yeah, but Belgian wit beers, I guess, use unmalted raw wheat. And that's huh. kind of the primary difference between them and something like a Hefeweizen that you'll find in Germany or German style. Which uses the malted wheat. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Cool. And that is the limits of my knowledge. Cool. Well, so. what would you rate the Blanche de Chambly? I'd probably go, I'm torn between seven or seven and a half. I don't know. It's it's quite good. It's exactly, there's nothing surprising about it, I guess, is why I wouldn't put it higher. It's not that Blanche de Chambly is bad in any way. I think it's actually a really good example of the style. It's just not, there's nothing terribly exciting about it if you know what to expect. Yeah, I would give it a strong seven. It's quite tasty. It's, and I I, I agree with, I, I agree with all your points. It's a good, strong example of the style but yeah like you said there's nothing there's nothing you know that makes it stand out i guess amongst belgian wits yeah so yeah a strong seven in that it's a beer that i will happily happily drink but i don't know that it's a beer that i will regularly seek out yeah and in a choice between you know if this is on tap and there's some other wit beer that i haven't tried i'm probably going to go for that one but definitely yeah definitely Cool. All right. Well, that's our common beer. And people are going to have to, or our listeners will have to wait to the end to see what our individual beers are. Yes, indeed. One other new item for this episode uh, that I, I, that I suggest is I think that it would be interesting to talk about, and I'm doing this purely for a selfish reason, which the listeners will see <laughs> in, a, in a minute. Um, it's a little bit of a brag from me, but uh, which the list, which everyone will see. But um, I think that, we should talk about one beer that we've had that's really stood out since the last time we recorded. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really like this idea because, you know, we talk about a certain style with each episode and, you know, depending on the discussion topic, there are other things that may not come up, but you know, I, Dave, I, I assume that you like me are trying beers now and again in between when we're actually recording episodes. And sometimes you run across something and you just want to tell people that you had it, that it was good. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'll, I'll, I'll start off for the first one. Um, because thanks to a, an extremely nice friend of mine who was in California a couple of weeks ago for work just last night, I got to try for the first time ever Pliny the elder, uh, for people who are, are unaware Pliny the elder is a beer made by Russian river, which is out of Northern California. And it is considered to be one of the best beers in the world. It's 
more or less the sort of benchmark that most people judge an Imperial IPA against. So it is, it's an 8% strong Imperial double IPA and it was delicious. Uh, Pretty good. It was delicious. It's been made for a long time. Um, and it's Russian river is a, a really well-regarded, fairly old, well, not old, but one of the older craft breweries in California and yeah, Pliny is sort of one of their flagship beers, but it's not like it's not super well, like the the release of it isn't big. So it's 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 never it's hard to find it north of Oregon. So in, in spite of being from California, I've never actually had Pliny the Elder. One day I will get around to it. But uh, when I have a nice friend that brings me back a bottle when they go on a trip. Yeah. So Pliny the Elder is my standout beer that I've had in the last, I guess, three weeks since we last recorded. Excellent. So. The beer that I had in the last few weeks that I really enjoyed is a beer called Jelly King. It's from Bellwoods, which I bring up yet again because it's probably my favorite brewery in Toronto. They have it on tap, so it's one of their newer beers. Bellwoods, a lot of their pilot beers, the first time they make it, they have it on tap only. They don't put it into bottles directly a lot of the time. And it gives them a chance to sort of try out new recipes and if it's really popular, you sometimes see them turn around into bottles quickly, but sometimes they won't ever put them in bottles sometimes they will bottle it but only after doing two or three rounds of it things like that so this one seems to be a brand new one uh it's a sour which no surprise coming from them surprisingly hoppy when we had it but absolutely delicious interesting interesting yeah cool cool yeah there's some it's hoppy sours are kind of it's kind of a new thing to me but there's also um four winds four winds brewing out of delta does a beer called Nectarus, which is a dry hopped sour. Interesting. And, and it's super delicious. Um, if I hadn't had, if I hadn't had the Pliny, that probably would be my, would have been my <laughs> outstanding beer, but uh, that's fair. Cool. So with that, do we want to get into the topic for this evening? Yeah, let's do that this evening, this episode, this episode. Yeah. Uh, let's do that. Our, the topic that we, de- we decided we were going to talk about today is collaboration beers and the first thing that brought this to my mind was i was talking about or i was i was looking at different beers several weeks ago and i know i emailed you about this but one of the breweries in toronto i think it's toronto did a collaboration beer with with famous canadian author margaret atwood (laughs) yes uh it's actually not a toronto brewery it's an ottawa brewery named uh bows Okay. But yeah, uh, they are an Ontario brewery, and it's inter- we'll get into it in a minute. It's not the first celebrity collaboration they've done, but I hadn't heard that they had done a beer with Margaret Atwood until you sent me that email uh, pointing it out to me. Unfortunately, by the time you sent it, it seems to have been a limited one-off, and it was completely gone. Uh, that's too bad. That's too bad. But that, that made me think that just talking about different collaborations could be a fun topic. So the way I sort of see it br- breaking down, I think or the way I, I read it, there's three different kinds of collaborations. The first kind of collaboration, which I think is probably the most common, is breweries collaborating with other breweries. The second type of collaboration is breweries collaborating with people. So someone like Margaret Atwood or other celebrities or what have you like that. And then the third type of collaboration that I'm familiar with is breweries collaborating with businesses such as restaurants or 
you know, things like that. Um, and I have sort of different feelings on the diff- the three different kinds, and we'll get into that. Yeah, so I mean, let's jump right in. I think I think that's a good way to split it with those the three different categories that you bring up. As far as you know, brewers collaborating with other brewers. This may be a simplistic way to view it, but when you when you mentioned the way th- that you think of it in your head, I thought, yeah, brewers collaborating with other brewers, pretty much never a bad thing. No, I agree with that, and. You know, just recently in BC, Parallel 49 put out their second, I guess, second annual Brews Brothers collaboration pack. Um, so and it, it's Yeah. <laughs> it's a 12-pack of beers, and each of them is a collaboration with a different brewery. So it is 12 individual beers with 12 different breweries. And so and all it, of them, I actually, this is the thing I meant to ask. So all of the, so it's, it's Parallel 49 with one other brewery for each bottle. So it's not like in the box, there isn't anything of two other brewers that aren't Parallel 49? No, correct, correct. It's Parallel 49 with, yeah, each bottle is a Parallel 49 collaboration with another beer or another brewery. Makes sense. And it's cool because they're they're all BC breweries, some local ones. I'm just looking at the box here because my recording studio is also my uh, beer cellar. Um, <laughs> you know, there's some local ones, Strange Fellows and Doan, and I mean, Doan makes the most sense considering they're literally around the corner from Parallel 49. It's the benefit of having that neighborhood now of East Van where just all the new breweries seem to be opening. Yep, yep. And then there's, you know, there's Hearthstone is in North Vancouver. We talked about their IPA a couple of episodes ago. Bridge again in North Vancouver. And then there's some further further out ones as well. Like there's Cranog, which is in Sorrento, B.C., Barkerville, which I, Barkerville Brewing, I'm pretty sure is in Quinell, which isn't Barkerville at all, but Barkerville's got the <laughs> name recognition around BC, uh, and Fernie and some, a couple of Victoria ones. And so it's actually a pretty cool pack. And I kind of like this one in particular. And I also like when, just when breweries collaborate together in general, because yeah, like you said, it's always, you know, it's, it's rarely a bad thing. Some of the beers are kind of or it can be kind of bad sometimes. But yeah, that's that, that's a good way of putting it, actually. Like, I think the concept is never a bad thing. That's not to say the thing produced from the collaboration is always good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, even in this box, all of the beers are kind of wacky. One of them was a black currant sour, which was delicious. There's a, a Sticke Alt. There's an apple IPA. It's all kind of like, they're, they're kind of, some. a lot of them are kind of wacky beers. But most of them, most of them are good, and they're just kind of fun. Yeah, I don't know. This is where I get weirdly idealistic. But I think it's one of the things that people sometimes celebrate about craft beer, and maybe rightfully so, is that there seems to be a spirit of collaboration when it comes to smaller breweries, even if they're in close proximity, and even if they're technically competitors. And this is actually interesting. So I was, while I was researching Belgian Wits, I was also researching collaborations. And the, I mean, obviously the concept of people working together to produce beer has probably been around for a very long time, but there's, I guess there's a specific point in American craft beer where the notion of breweries collaborating on beers started. And it's in 2004 and... It's actually, it's funny, you mentioned Russian River. Uh, Russian River and Avery Brewing. So Russian River's in California. Avery Brewing is in Colorado. Maybe in Denver, but definitely in Colorado. It turns out they were both making a beer around the same time called Salvation. And when 
you have two breweries making a beer called the same thing. Theoretically, that's when the lawyers can come out and start to litigate and figure out, you know, someone has to rename their thing and whatever. And so I guess rather than do that, the two brewers got in touch with each other and they decided they were just going to make a collaboration beer. And the collaboration beer was called Collaboration, Not Litigation. Oh, awesome. That's hilarious. And and I guess it, it kickstarted this thing. And apparently, I didn't realize this, in Denver, there's a huge collaboration beer fest where they have a bunch of different breweries that create one-off beers specifically for this festival. And they hold it every year. I'm not sure how long it's been going on, but it's a cool concept in that it's going to be very, very different every year, but it's all towards that spirit of of collaboration. That's very cool. That is very, very cool. Yeah, and so that is that is kind of the the idealistic part of collaborations that is that it is it's it's you know helping out even though they're they're like you said they're technically competitors you guys are kind of doing the same thing and I don't I'm sure that most of the breweries enter into an agreement saying we're going to split the profits of this 50-50 or we're going to you know it was brewed at this place at this brewery so you're going to keep the profits, but next time we brew it at our brewery and, and we'll keep the profits for that. I don't know how that works. And to be honest with you, I kind of would rather not know. (laughs) Yeah. You don't really need to see how the sausage is made. Well, that's it. It would kind of ruin this. It would kind of ruin the spirit of it a little bit for me. The other thing about this Brews Brothers craft beer pack is that there was a review of it in one of the local papers and one of the things was that was brought up was that, you know, it's it's Parallel 49 being one of the bigger breweries in in Vancouver. It kind of gave some exposure to some of the smaller or newer ones that people wouldn't otherwise know about as much. That's actually a really interesting point. It's almost like the the thing that comes to mind is, you know, a musician starts to get big and they start pulling their friends and colleagues along as opening acts, which gives them that level of exposure that they maybe wouldn't get otherwise. They get that that, that uh, access to a bigger audience. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, some of the breweries that are in this pack maybe don't need the exposure. You know, like Cranog, I think, Cranog's been operating for a lot longer than Parallel 49's been on the scene. I don't know that they need the exposure or really want it. I think they just like kind of doing their own thing. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, Axe and Barrel, which is a new brew pub in Victoria, I hadn't heard of until I brought the till I bought this pack. And then I went and did a little bit of research and found out what they're all about. You know, same with some of these other ones like Hearthstone is very new, you know, and so it's it's kind of cool in that sense that it, it is a little bit of, you know, you're, you're yeah, you're giving your your buddy a bit of a leg up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially when, yeah, it's that idea of if you know and like Parallel 49 already, you may pick this up and you may find a new favorite out of it. So it's a it's a cool thing. I don't know. It's and and the flip side of it is we've already sort of touched on it, but when brewers get together, there's the potential for them saying, like, well, we already know how to make kind of normal styles of beer. Let's do something weird. Like let's do something off the wall. And the results of which may not always be great. But Yes. It's fun. It's creative. I mean, they probably have fun making it. So, definitely, definitely cool. I'd say that covers the breweries collaborating with breweries. Collaboration type two is collaborations between breweries and people. This one, 
I'm not as familiar with because it just doesn't happen as much in Vancouver. The one that I can, the one sort of shining example I can really think of was there used to be a gentleman in Vancouver named Colin Jack, and he had a beer show. Like he was kind of a a beer guy. He had a beer show on one of the local talk radio stations, but he actually he did he he passed away about five years ago, something like that. And uh, Dead Frog did a beer. I guess it was kind of a tribute beer more than a collaboration beer because obviously he had passed he had passed away, but um, it was. A, a Colin Jack beer. It had his picture on the front. And so that w- that's really the only one that I can think of as a local example. I'm sure there's lots more that I'm missing, but it does. There definitely are ones that are, you know, that are there. There's other ones that are out there. I know as the, the mm-hmm. Margaret Atwood one that we talked about. Yeah, I can, I can think of a bunch and by and large, I mean, this is where my idealism goes away and I become kind of a grouch. I don't get it. I don't fully understand the the idea behind these things. And they feel, to be perfectly honest, kind of like marketing gimmicks in some cases, I should say. So with, with no offense meant to, I don't know why they take offense, Bose has done this before with a couple of different beers. So they actually have a year-round beer now called the Tom Green Beer. And it's a beer they made with Canadian celebrity Tom Green. <laughs> so there's, there's a milk stout called the Tom Green Beer. I've never had it, mostly because I feel like it's a gimmick. I don't know. And apparently it's actually a pretty decent beer. So maybe I should try it sometime because it's it was a limited, I think, release. And then they made it a year round because people kept buying it. Because it's just the beer label has Tom Green's face on it. Oh, there you go. They also put out one, actually just recently, uh, I went to the LCBO last week. And they put out a collaboration with Chaos, the musician. Cool. Uh, cool. Called Golden Vox, and it's a rye lager, I think. Huh. Something like that. And yeah, and then so I was trying to look up more examples to try and figure out what's going on with this category because I don't fully understand who initiates it and who. It's definitely a collaboration because someone else's name is also on the beer. But at the same time, I don't fully know who's developing the recipe, if the person involved has any input. So I tried to look into it. And so the Margaret Atwood one, for example. So the beer is called, I think it's just called New Brew, N-O-O-B-R-O-O, which is, if I remember correctly, a drink referenced in one of her recent books. So she recently wrote a trilogy of books, sort of future sci-fi, post-collapse of society, and the first one is called Oryx and Crake. The second one is Year of the Flood. And the third one, I think, is called Mad Adam. Okay. And there's a lot of themes of survival after disaster and learning to reclaim the land and things like that. And so the description of the Margaret Atwood beer, of this new brew beer that Bose made, is they tried to make it inspired by the themes in the books. And so the beer is a Gruet style which I know next to nothing about other than it's a really old style and it doesn't use hops. It uses other herbs. It uses other herbs. Yeah. In, in place of hops as preserving agents. Yes. But it's one of these sort of ancient beer styles. Exactly. As far and as I, I understand. And I also, I also know next to nothing about Gruitz. Um, one of the, one of the uh, Bruce brothers is beers is a Gruit. We haven't had it yet. Uh, but yeah, I, the only, the only other place I know that makes one is salt spring. Salt Spring Island Brewing makes a Gruet, and I've never had it. 
Bose, I think, makes three different Gruets. Huh. They they kind of made it a point to start making them. And I mean, I think, you know, in the States, you have Dogfish Head, which has made a couple of different Gruet styles. And yeah. in general, they, they've pushed the whole notion of recreating ancient beer styles. That's been one of their many things that they've done over the years. So on one hand, like, I think that's a cool idea. The idea that, hey, Margaret Atwood wrote these series of books. Let's kind of take that. And it's in its own way, celebration of Canadian culture, I guess. On the on the flip side of that, like, what does Tom Green have to do with a milk stout? I don't actually know. And so, and I don't, for all I know, it's just they made a milk stout and they wanted to partner with him for something. Another one that I thought of is there's a brewery in Ontario. I forget where they are in Ontario, but called Spearhead Brewing. Okay. And they made a collaboration beer with the Sam Roberts Band. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a session ale. And it was funny, I found a, a video of an interview between the brewer and Sam Roberts and talking about how the beer came about. And it sounded like at least the brewer reached out to Sam Roberts and said, Hey, we want to make a beer. Do you want to make one? Like what style would it be? And Sam Roberts came back with some basic feedback of saying, Hey, I, I think it should be this style for these reasons. This is kind of connects to the music. So they wanted to do a sort of English session ale. And then from there, Spearhead just went and made the recipe and then got Sam Roberts and maybe the band to try it afterwards. That's cool. And that actually, you mentioned that and come to think of it, like I, it, all of a sudden I thought of several other, you know, musician collaboration beers. I know there's a, a brewery in Britain that makes a Frank Turner beer. Oh, that's right. I completely forgot about that. And I don't know anything about it. I don't know whether Frank had any input on it or anything like that, but there is, there's definitely a Frank Turner beer being made yeah. somewhere or had been made. I don't know if it still is somewhere in England. And then there's always, you can, there's a beer that you can get almost everywhere. I don't know if it's in the LCBO, but I've seen it lots of places in Vancouver. That's Iron Maiden beer. Oh, that's right. That's another one I forgot about. It's got this, I think it's called The Trooper. And it's just got the picture, it's just got a picture of Eddie on the front. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I, on one hand, I don't know, I get cynical about it because I feel like by and large, you know, even ones that seem to try and do some sort of more than surface level connection with the the person or the musician or things like that even if they're trying to do a, a deeper than surface level connection it feels kind of cynical because it feels like it's built for people who are walking through the liquor store and happen to see a label with like the iron maiden logo on it and going like oh hey i'll buy that yeah yeah i'm i'm 100 i'm 100 with you on that now i i should say there are there are a couple i shouldn't disparage them entirely like i know there's at least one i can think of Stone Brewing in the States made a collaboration beer with Will Wheaton. Yeah. Of Star Trek The Next Generation and nerd culture now just in he's just kind of a general nerd culture person on the internet. Yes. Um but he is I guess a really avid home brewer. Yes, I knew that. I I briefly or I followed him on Twitter at one point and unfollowed him during a hockey playoff series because he's a Kings fan and the Kings <laughs> were playing against the Canucks and I was like, "Nope, that's enough of this. Unfollow and I've never gone back." Yep. But I did. He definitely posted a lot of things about homebrewing. And I can see that as a as a sort of cool thing where it's a collaboration with a celebrity, but someone who clearly is interested and sort of avid about beer making. And the chance in a similar way that sometimes homebrewing competitions as a prize will have a full batch of whatever the winning beer is made at a professional at a production brewery. So yeah. I can see that being a sort of cool idea, you know. He's a celebrity. He's also a home brewer. And so they want to try and put something together. Um, there's still, I feel like, an aspect of there may be people buying this because Will Wheaton's name on it. 
but it's it, it's not it feels actually more like a real collaboration yeah definitely definitely so yeah yeah cool and then our third our third kind of collaborations is the one that perhaps i'm the most cynical about the <laughs> the collaborations with businesses or yeah. restaurants or things like that and this one really to me seems just like a marketing gimmick and the ones that kind of jump out to me the most well there's there's a few but a lot of the a lot of the sort of beer focused restaurants in vancouver craft which is right across which is you know in my neighborhood and tap and barrel which has three locations one of which is in my neighborhood have they every time you every time you go to one of these places they have some sort of collaborate like they call it a collaboration beer or or a or something like that where one of their managers or somebody went to a brewery and brewed a beer with them just for them with craft yeah. with craft they've got a partnership with Granville Island and so they go down to the Granville Island brewery on the island and they brew a beer and it changes i don't know every couple of months or something like that and they have this exclusive beer to craft in collaboration with granville island Hmm. whereas tap and barrel they usually have three or four different offerings on the menu that are brewed just for them and it always struck me as a little bit gimmicky the kind of the the kind of interesting thing for me about about tap the tap and barrel one though at least is that there've been several beers that started as exclusive to craft that the breweries then found were really popular and started producing, I guess, after the licensing agreement or or whatever it is, they started just producing them themselves. And the the one that jumps to mind the most is how sound makes a beer called you're my boy blue. Uh, (laughs) And it's, it's, it's a blueberry weed ale. Okay. And it's, and it's super delicious. It's really, really good, but it started as, a tap and barrel exclusive and really? now and now and that was when tap and barrel like first first opened which was four or five years ago you were still living in vancouver i had no idea and now now it's 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 readily i mean it's a seasonal they don't brew it year round but every summer it's readily available in the traditional house sound one liter flip top bottles and so i think that's kind of cool as long as the brewery kind of gets to control it yeah and it obviously with in the agreement with tap and barrel the brewery does get to control it. And I like that. One other one that kind of jumps out to me that seems kind of just sort of gimmicky is there's a, there's a, I guess company, I use the term company loosely. I mean, the guy makes money off of it, but I'd, I guess organization in Vancouver called the 99 social. And I know of it because the guy who runs the 99 social hosts rugby events at local pubs so basically he he is an an expat himself from england and basically he organizes with local sports bars basically to show the six nations and the world cup games and other sort of international test matches Mm -hmm. as international rugby test matches that otherwise like aren't available on tv in canada and so, yeah, he organizes events around that. And usually if they're at, say, the Pint in downtown or the London pub or something like that, it's often because they're in 
a different time zone. They're often at eight in the morning or something like that. But you'll pay you you pay ten bucks in the door or twenty bucks in the door, and it's breakfast and uh, watching the game. And so then, like the the ninety nine social is that's their core sort of thing. They organize these rugby based events. But they recently collaborated with Postmark, I think Postmark, which is a reasonably new brewery in Vancouver, to make the Social Stout, which is the 99 Social's, I guess, exclusive beer. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just seems like a marketing scheme. Yeah, it's yeah, I and I like I I kind of feel weird criticizing because like the guy the guy who runs the 99 social is really nice and you know he's doing this thing he's to be honest with you it was hard to find places to watch the rugby games before he started doing this a few years ago and so like good on him for doing that but it just seems <laughs> so like almost disingenuous. It's it's funny because it feels like that the the line between kind of true collaboration in the sense of both parties or or the you know every party involved having input into the actual creation of the thing for mutual benefit versus something like that which feels at least like the way you've described it, it sounds like a very one-way transaction yeah and it, it it almost seems like in both with this one with the 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 social stout and also with some of like the the gravel island and craft collaborations it doesn't seem to me much different than just like, you know, Earl's albino rhino house beer. Yeah, there was, I, the details completely escaped me at this point, but there was one of those sort of chain restaurants, I think it was Cactus Club, actually, in BC, which for a while purported to have unique beers, like beers specifically for the Cactus Club, and they were all just Granville Island beers, as far as I know, and they had kind of one special... I forget what it was. Again, the details are all escaping me. But they they had usually mostly Granville Island on tap. Last time I remember being, being in one, and they had some special like oh, brewed exclusively for us. But it's still it's just like a regular Granville Island lager or something. Yeah, yeah. I think that was I think that was Cactus Club, and it was because uh, if I remember correctly, the Cactus Club house beers were the Ugly Ale and the Utter Ale or something like that. Yes. And the Ugly Ale was just Granville Island's old Hefeweizen. That's all it was. It was it was Granville Island's Hefeweizen. And I think the Utter Ale was just like their their pale ale or something like that. And yeah, and that's like that's what this strikes me as. But they're like I, and I maybe I'm reading into this. Maybe I'm just like fired up for no real reason. <laughs> but it this this sort of collab restaurant collaboration just strikes me as no more than just a house beer. That's a good way of putting it, I think. There's one so the the one that comes to mind actually that I noticed and it's I'm biased in this regard because it was nice and it worked well in the restaurant. But um, Momofuku, the series of restaurants that are owned by David Chang. So the original ones are in New York. There are a series of Momofuku restaurants in Toronto. And so the base one is a ramen bar. And then they have sort of a... Is there a milk bar in, in Toronto? There is, but it isn't an actual kitchen. So they actually ship stuff from the New York location and they flash oh. freeze a lot of stuff and they bring it up. So you can still get like the cakes and the corn cookie and things like yeah. that, which is absolutely amazing. By the way, anyone who's listening, if you're in Toronto, go to Momofuku, if only to buy a corn cookie and get a bowl of ramen because it's really good. But they have a they have a collaboration beer with Oast House Brewing, which is out in Niagara, I believe. Okay. And it's a peach ale which i find kind of charming because i just i may get all these details wrong momofuku if i remember the actual translation means lucky peach 
And so this is where the name of like the food magazine that David Chang started is called Lucky Peach and things like that. So making a peach beer to go along with Momofuku restaurant. I get that. That's I can't like I'm I'm a little charmed. But there's also, I guess it does raise the question of I wouldn't put it past someone like David Chang, who clearly cares about the food in his restaurants and the recipes and things like that, to actually put effort and input into what drinks are available. And that could go as far as the beer itself. Now I don't I don't know that for certain, but at least for me, theoretically, if a restaurant was actually collaborating with a brewery to say, hey, we have this menu and we really want a beer because we think, I'm mean, coming back to what we talked about with beer pairings, if they are actually working to create a beer that works for the menu that they have, then again, it comes back, it feels like more of a true collaboration. Now, I can't think of an example of something like that, but theoretically that could exist and I would I would feel better about that, I think. Yeah, that that definitely rings true for me as well. The the way you say that and the way you, what you're explaining about the the Momofuku beer, that makes sense to me. Like that rings very true that someone like David Chang would who in all of the like the interviews I've seen of him and well, he does a lot of spotlights with Anthony Bourdain cuz mm-hmm. they're buddy they're buddies. David Chang seems like kind of a lunatic. <laughs> But at the same time, he's madly, madly interested in the quality of the product and the, the the food and the flavors and stuff like that. So it does. You're totally right. He strikes me as the kind of person that would say I would have input into this collaboration beer. Mm-hmm. And that seems like that that rings true to me. So, yeah, like in in cases, you know, if it's more of a real collaboration like that, I think that I can get behind it in a big way. But things the one that, yeah, the the Cactus Club example is sort of that far other end where it's just, it feels like a marketing ploy. And it feels like being able to say, oh, we have this unique thing. But no real effort was put in. No, it was probably a monetary transaction that said, hey, can you make us a beer? And they're like, yeah, I guess. And then, you know, a so-called unique beer shows up. Yeah, and that was it. And that's that's where you, you get kind of cynical. Yeah. So it's like, I can, I can see the potential, but yeah. I can't think off the top of my head. Momofuku is the closest where I can think, well, there's a chance that that one had more thought put into it than just, you know, give us a unique beer. Very true. Very, very true. Yeah. Cool. I guess that covers collaborations. We talked about that a lot. Wow. Yeah. The, uh, uh, it was funny. The one, the one last thing that I thought of, and it's, it ultimately comes down to, it reminds me a lot of the experience of homebrewing, actually, just the notion of collaborations. Because when we used to do homebrewing with, with the two of us and a few friends of ours, there was being able to lean on each other for common experience when it came to putting recipes together. So I remember there were easily a couple of times when I would sort of start thinking about putting together a recipe, but then I would get in touch with you or with one of our other friends to say, hey, is this does this make sense? And you especially had that experience to be able to say, well, what you really want is some different grain to add in for this purpose or this property. And I feel like at its best, that's what collaboration, that's what beer collaborations can be. And so when you see like two of your favorite brewers collaborate together, it's awesome because you can see that sort of the joining of knowledge. And certainly there's a big center of Venn diagram of like they both, you know, both places will know how to make beer, but bringing the sort of unique views that each party has can sometimes produce these really, really cool things. Very true. Very, very true. Cool. All right. Um, That, yeah, like I said, that covers collaborations pretty well yeah let's uh let's drink some more beer all right so what what beer do you have for us today okay i have 
from Strange Fellows Brewing. The I'm going to pronounce this wrong. I was practicing. <laughs> I was I was practicing <laughs> before, but because I don't speak French even a lick, it's the Jongleur Jongleur Wit Beer, which I guess is French for juggler. And there's a picture of the picture of somebody juggling on the front. And yeah, it is a traditional Belgian wit beer. Uh, and it is it's much lighter in color than the Blanche de Chambly, which is saying something because the Blanche is pretty light to begin with. It's very pale. Yeah, this one is, I mean, almost like a cloudy. I don't know, like color wise, it's almost like a cloudy coconut. Hmm. Okay. To you to use something that pretty much everyone who's listened to this has probably seen and is, is a more of a universal thing, but like it is light, light, pale yellow. Okay. Good foamy head. Solid nose. Oh, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> that's it's just a really good traditional Belgian style wit. It is this is so We've talked about Strange Fellows a little bit before. One of the things I really, really like about Strange Fellows is a lot of their beers are lighter. And I don't mean lighter in the sense of lighter flavor or anything like that, but this one's only four and a half percent. That is really nice. Which is great. And they make a pale ale, which it's called their pale ale. We're getting, I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but their pale ale is called Talisman. It's 3.8% usually. I mean, it varies a little bit batch to batch. But it doesn't suffer anything from the flavor and is only is less than 4%. It is outstanding. Very nice. Yeah. So, yeah, the Jongler Wit from Strange Fellows, it's very good. I would rate it probably an eight and a half. Mm, that's excellent. That's, that's yeah. Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. The um, yeah. the one time I got to go to Strange Fellows was with you and another friend of ours when I was in town. Uh, whenever it was labor day last weekend last summer that would have been it it would have been labor day and yeah everything i had at strange fellows was was fantastic yeah yeah they make great beer pretty good and so what have you got uh so i've got from indie alehouse brewing in toronto i have the broken hipster <laughs> their description is a traditional belgian wit made with botanicals and spices to produce a light and refreshing yet complex wheat beer it's a year round for them. It's what, so it's one of their, I think they make about four or five staples and Indie Ale House is, they have a full restaurant as well, but they have a bottle shop attached to it. So on a pour, it's, I can't lie. It looks like a lager. Like there's actually, there's very little head retention after the initial pour. It's much more sort of golden in color. Yeah. Offhand, if you handed this to me, I would not guess it was a Belgian wit. But it certainly smells like one, so. There you go. Yeah. All right, now I'll give it a try. That's really interesting. It's it's quite a bit different. It's spicier. Not spicier mm. in, a, in a heat sort of way. But it definitely tastes like there's more in the beer. Uh, yeah. Like I was saying, you know, with most, most of the time if you see... Belgian wits, you'll see coriander and orange peel repeated sort of over and over again. And a lot of places say like those, we definitely use those, but there could be more in it. Yeah. So I'm looking at the Indie Ale House website and it suggests that key ingredients are Belgian yeast, rose, lavender, ginger, orange, and other stuff. Ginger. 
Wow. Ginger. And actually, that's it's one of those bad things where you sort of backfill information when you read something. But it definitely, there is a ginger taste to the beer. Yeah. That's actually, that's interesting. Um, one of the local breweries, and I actually, I kind of looked for this when I was going to look for their, the local wit. One of the breweries, I'm, I'm like 95% sure it's Powell Street, makes a ginger cardamom wit. Interesting. Um, and I was, I haven't tried it. I've seen it. And I've been like, oh, that's looks like something I would like. I just haven't tried it. And I thought this would have been a good chance, but alas, I couldn't find it. But I'm, I'm curious to see what it would be like with ginger. Cause ginger is a really like, it's a very potent spice. Mm-hmm. And I've only ever really in beers, I've only ever really experienced ginger before either like a true ginger beer, which Phillips makes one that's not bad. Or sometimes it's in some of those Christmas beers that we talked about last last episode where, right. you know, it's Christmas gingerbread spices, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You get gingerbread stouts and things like that sometimes. Yeah. And so, like, I'm I'm curious to what the ginger's like in this one. I mean, now now that we're talking about it, I can't seem to find anything else going on in the beer other than ginger. And it's quite it's very prominent hmm. to the point that and again, it's partially that thing of talking about it where i don't really i don't know i think this is the first beer i've actually had from indie alehouse that i'm not really that big on and i can't tell whether it's just my taste because also i should clarify like i'm not a big fan of ginger beers to begin Mm. with ginger as a taste in drinks is something that i'm not a big fan of so yeah i don't i wouldn't necessarily categorize this as a bad beer but it's not really one for me i think there you go and that's fine yeah I'd probably go something like six out of ten, maybe five and a half. Well, that's I I feel like that's fair. I mean, not every beer, everyone's got a different palate. Not every beer, every beer sits perfectly for everybody. But yeah, yeah, and I should clarify. I mean, this is I've had five or six different. I think last time we were at the restaurant, I got a taster, or I split a taster with my wife of five or I think five different beers, and every one of them that we had at the time was fantastic. You know, they had. Cool. A couple of different sours. They had uh, a stout. I think they had an imperial porter. Basically, great across the board. This is the first one of theirs that I've had that I'm just not really sure about. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're, we're we've we've rambled on past the desired allotment again. Yeah, uh, pretty much. I, I think at this point I may have to update the. Dis- I don't know if it's ever been in our description, but I think certainly roughly an hour is I think where we tend to hit. Yeah. So uh, places you can find us. So you can find us on Twitter. We're at Hoppy Night CA. We are on the rest of the internet at HoppyNight.ca. Gmail. Um, you can email us, I guess. HoppyNightInCanada at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, we don't have a Facebook page yet, but that is coming soon. Yep. What else? Obviously, if you're listening to this, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts, leave us a review. We still have one review. It's five stars. But we'd like more. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Leave us a review. Yeah, send us uh, send us any feedback, whether you're positive, mostly positive. Yeah, we still we're still we're still good with positive feedback. Yeah, yeah. Negative feedback, maybe you can keep that to yourself. <laughs> you can tell us how much we rambled, as long as it's a good thing. You know. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, John. All right. Until next time. Until next time. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Cheers.